Turn your Bibles to the first book, book of Genesis, chapter 1. We'll start here, we'll cover some other verses, but we'll start in verse 26. As I indicated this morning, tonight we're speaking on the home, marriage, and the family. The home, marriage, and the family. When the virus first broke out, there was a lot of... uh, humorous things that people would put on uh, little videos and things that, a lot of stuff about toilet paper, the fact you couldn't buy toilet paper, there was a lot of different things about that. Uh, there was one little quip about, this man was given the decision, he said, now, you only got two choices in a virus, number one, A, you can be locked up with your family and children, immediately he said B. Uh, you know, that sounds rather humorous because you know, we know it can be tough, you know, when you're locked in together with your family and home. It's meant to be a blessing, and it should be, and hopefully is, but sometimes it's not. And I sense that there's a lot more difficulty because of this virus. There's more angst. There's more, uh, in some cases, financial struggles. There's certainly the fear of the virus itself, and it has created more tension and problems in the home. And I just feel like there are some things that we need to address. The home should be a place of security, should be a place of happiness and joy. Uh, This side of heaven, it should be the the greatest thing that we enjoy in our home, in our marriage, in our family. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. When we get to Chapter 2, we see a little more about uh, that creation. It says how it happened. It sort of tells us that it did happen in chapter 1, and then more of a description of how it happened in chapter 2 in verse 21. It says, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs. And he closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. Verse 23, And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. They were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. If you try to find the perfect family, you, you really can't find a perfect family because everybody has their faults. We're dealing with people that uh, are fallen, depraved, and at best, someone who's been saved by the grace of God, who's growing and learning how uh, to live for the Lord. And maybe you had a good example and good parents, and you follow that example, and you're trying to build your home on the Word of God. But even in the best of circumstances, there it's not perfect, and we see that here. 
Adam and Eve were in an untested state of holiness. No one was more holy. There was no worldly influence. There, there was no baggage to bring to the marriage. They were made in the image of God, and yet by the time we get to chapter 3, we see there was dissension. They sinned. They, they took the forbidden fruit. She took it and gave to her husband also, and he did eat. And God came down and spoke to them, and when he spoke to them, what was the answer of the man? Well, the woman thou gavest me, it was her. And what did the woman say? Well, it was the serpent. He beguiled me. It wasn't my fault. And God said, all right, there's a penalty. And he cast them out of that beautiful garden, the Garden of Eden. We see even in the most perfect situation, no one is perfect. Now, it's good to see a good example. And there are good examples in our church of uh, families and homes that young people can look up to. And it, uh, there's nothing wrong with that. That's a good thing. And we should do that. But we also have to realize no one's perfect. We all have blemishes. And in everybody's genealogy, there's a character. There's someone that was in prison or did something crazy or, or dumb. And it's a challenge. But it's a challenge worth pursuing. Our home should be a place of peace and happiness and joy that's why God created man and woman. They are to be an example of a relationship with God that here on this earth, people can look at a marriage and they can see God through that marriage, through their love for each other and through their respect for each other. If you go through the Bible and you try to find a great example, we see Adam and Eve, which you would think would be the best example, but both in their marriage and in their family and their children, one of their sons became a murderer. Not a perfect situation. Jacobet and Amram are great leaders. They raised three great leaders, uh, Aaron, Moses, and Miriam. But Miriam committed insurrection. Aaron built a golden calf to false gods. Uh, Moses took the life of an Egyptian when he saw an injustice being done. That's not a perfect situation. Jacob loved one of his children more than the others. His brother sold Joseph into slavery. There was a lot of sibling rivalry that went on in that family. David is a great hero of the faith, a man after God's own heart, but he committed adultery. He planned the death of Uriah. His son Absalom created an insurrection behind the king's back. Not a perfect situation either. You look at Timothy, he had a godly mother and grandmother but there's no mention of his father or grandfather or anyone else. I don't know what that means, but uh, perhaps he would, at least his mother and grandmother would be a great example. Uh, maybe the one example would be the best that we can find in Scripture would be Elizabeth and Zacharias. Uh, they're the ones that gave birth to John the Baptist. Zacharias was a priest in the temple, came from the lineage of Aaron and the high priest Aaron. Yeah, Elizabeth was a cousin to Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the mother, became the mother of John the Baptist. The Bible tells us they were of excellent character. In Luke chapter 1, verse 6, it says, They were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. That's a pretty good example. They were godly people, uh, God-fearing people. 
They were obviously believers. They were righteous before God. They walked in the commandments and the ordinances. They were obedient uh, to what scripture they had for that day. They were blameless. People couldn't look at them and say, well, you not follow the Bible. You did that wrong. No one had an accusation against them. She prayed about her situation and sought the Lord. The angel told Zacharias John would have a special purpose. He's going to be great in the sight of God. Among them that were born among women, there's not a greater risen than John the Baptist by the words of Jesus. He would not drink wine or strong drink. He would be a Nazarite, uh, separated, told and completely unto God. Now that's the same vow perhaps that Samson took. He'd be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. He would turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He would be the fulfillment of Old Testament scripture, paving the way for our Savior to come. Still, we don't know all the daily routine, the ins and outs, all the things that they did. There are other examples. We see uh, Hannah and her prayers for a child. There, There are many examples that are good examples that we can learn from and that we can follow. But this we know. Everyone's not perfect because we have to accept the fact we're sinners saved by grace. And we can't let that get in the way of pursuing holiness and righteousness and honoring the Lord and investing our time wisely into our children, into our marriage. It is worth it. It is important. So the first family is created. They were created in the image of God. We discussed this recently. And in fact, I read the text of Genesis 1 recently. In Ephesians chapter 4, if you want to turn there with me, we'll come back to chapter 5 in a little bit. But in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 24... Says that you put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. The way man was created in the image of God was in, he was created moral and having a knowledge or intellect. When you get saved, you can be back to where you were or hopefully uh, learn to grow in grace so that we are more of what he wanted us to be in righteousness and true holiness. Even a little child, when they do something wrong, very often you can tell they know they've been devious. They know they've done something wrong. They don't want to admit it maybe, but there's something in all of us. There are certain things we know are right and wrong. It's inherent because God created us in that way. We're creating the image of true holiness and intellectual knowledge. Colossians 3.10, just over a couple pages. Verse uh, verse 10 of chapter 3 of Colossians. And I put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. We have an understanding of things in life and the ability to create and build and all these things that we can do today that are different than the animal life. So we're created in the image of God. And we were created for his pleasure. We're here for him. He's not there for us, although we know he's there all the time, but he created us for his own pleasure, to bring honor and glory to him. Colossians 1.16. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. So we're here for him. He created us for him. 
but he created the family. He made the decision of how it would happen. And out of nothing, out of the, the dust of the ground, he formed man and then breathed into man the breath of life and he became a living soul. So here is that person living, uh, breathing, and having a personality. All that came from God. And then he took the rib from the man's side and somehow from that rib created a woman. It came out of him, giving the impression that they are to work together side by side. So there is a, a, a teaching about the, the relationship that they have from the very beginning, made in the image of God, and God did it in a very special way so that we realize we're here for him. And that the, the marriage, that first home, that first family was his doing. He determined that's the way it would be. One man, one woman, together for life. And it's always interesting, you read the statements, a man shall leave father and mother and cleave unto his wife. Well, Adam didn't have that choice. There was no one else. He didn't have any parents, earthly parents on this, uh, this earth. But for all of his children, they were to understand that truth, to leave father and mother and to cleave unto their wife. That's the way a marriage would work. It would pass on generation after generation. So we have the creation of the first family, and then we see there was a structure and order to it. He didn't just create them and leave them on their own. There was a plan. Uh, he made them male and female. Now, if I could just meddle a little bit, could I just say some things that should not be controversial, but probably they are? We are lacking male leadership in our country today. There was a day when men were men. I mean, they were tough. They, you know, they had backbone, and they, you know, they would provide for their family. Now, we create a lot of women that are great leaders. In our, this infiltrates our youth group, our church, our Christian school, let alone, obviously, in the public sector. But there was a day when men said, you know, I'm going to give my life. I'll provide for my family. That's how important that, that was to every man. And they, and they were tough. There was a saying that if a ship sank, what, what, what was the, the, the protocol? Women and children first. Now today, wouldn't necessarily be that. We'd have to go through a, a whole list of names of different sexual distinctions to who would go first. But for the men, it still should be women and children first. That, why? Because there is a role that God gave the man to be the leader of the home. But he created male and female, and each role is distinctive and important. It doesn't mean that Eve was less than Adam or Adam better than Eve. What it meant was God made a distinction, and that's a good distinction. It's the way it ought to be. And the two of them made a family and a home. So he made <coughs> male and female. And he made man as the head of the home, 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 3. Now this has been in the Bible, it was written almost 2,000 years ago. It's not changed, and the truth is still immutable. Chapter 11 and verse 3. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ. Now let's not go beyond that first. Let's think about that. A man is to be subject to Christ. A man has a huge responsibility. He's got to listen to God and let God lead him and direct him. And the head of the woman is the man. 
To be honest, it would be simpler if you just had a person to follow. But when you've got to follow God, that's a great responsibility. But that's his responsibility. Her responsibility is to follow the wife or to follow the, her husband. So the man was to be the head of the home, the head over his wife. There was a, a responsibility given to him. Now, later we'll go into Ephesians 5, but it says, you're to be subject one to another. But in that way, we are yielded to whatever God's plan is for our lives. Whatever he wants us to do, we have to say, all right, God, I'm submitting to you. But the man's responsibility <clears throat> was unto God, subject un, unto the Lord. The man would be the head. There was an intended purpose for man to replenish the earth or to procreate, replenish the earth, have children. It's a good thing to have children. Uh, sometimes after you, they get a certain age, you think, it's not easy. They're, you know, if they're a baby that's colicking, they cry all night, they go, well, you know, I didn't know about this. But it's a blessing. It's a wonderful thing to have children. Sometimes you don't realize what a blessing it is till they leave. And I've said often, I said, there's only one thing worse than your children leaving home. That's them not leaving home. But either one's a bad thing. You know, just, you know, you, first time we dropped our oldest son off in Bible college, we went to, I mean, it's a traumatic thing, you know. You, they've been with you all that time, 18 or 25 or 30 years, however long they've been with you. And you, you drop them off, and it's a traumatic thing. They, we stopped to get something to eat. Well, I ordered something for him. You know, and it's like, oh, no. You know, why did I do that? And, just, and it just keeps hitting you. You keep looking around, start counting, and, well, I counted wrong because we're missing one. You know, you go home, that room is empty. You know, all those are traumatic things. They're, they're difficult things. But it's a blessing that God allows us to have children, that you can't have children. Some people can't have children for one reason or another. So it is a blessing that God gives us. And that, you know, when you see them leave, you know, you realize that, you know, it was a great thing to have them at home and have the, the children there. You know, for us, the greatest time was when our children were teenagers. Teenagers, you know why it's such a great thing to have you in, our, in your home? Because you can do so much work. That's why. There's a lot of things you can do. Clean the house and fix, repair things and do stuff. So mow the lawn. And, you know, you miss that when they're gone, that all that work they could do. But it's a great thing to have children in the home. So that was God's plan. He intended man to replenish the earth. We, we don't have to worry about a population explosion. There are too many people on the earth. I mean, there's still people that get lost in the wilderness, can't find their way because it's, you know, if you, if you go to Canada and get off one of the main highways... Uh, you might never come back. I mean, it just, there's nothing there. For a thousand miles, there's nothing, nothing there. So, no, we haven't overpopulated the earth. But that's God's plan, to replenish the earth, be fruitful, multiply. And then he provided companionship. I, I think that's a, a wonderful thing. You have someone that's there. You always go home to them. That You have companionship. I mean, just their presence alone, just the fact that there's a routine but to be able to talk and communicate, do things together, maybe go on a trip or vacation. I mean, that's a wonderful thing that God created companionship for the husband and the wife. The Bible says that Eve was created to be a help, meet or fitting, appropriate for Adam. Because after he created all the animals, he said there was not uh, 
There was no one or nothing that would be a help unto Adam, and he created the woman to be a help. Do you realize that's one of the strongest natural driving uh, desires in, in every woman is to, to help her husband, to push him ahead, to make him successful, defend him? I mean, that, that, that is her biggest goal that she can have is to encourage her husband. Adam's job was to protect and provide for his wife. That was a big responsibility. You know, when you think about most men, they need help. You know, they don't match everything. Their wife can help them with that. They're not as concerned about pictures up in the home and, you know, what it looks like and stuff like that. Sometimes the hamper doesn't mean anything to them. They're just different things that they need help. And a wife is given to help them with things, to make sure that, oh, you realize that, you know, you're disheveled, there's dirt on you, there's, you know, the, the dog prints on the back of you or whatever. They, they're there to help you. And that is a goal of a wife. And the two work together. It's a blessing. And a man's responsibility is to say, I want to make sure for anyone else that I take care of my family. They're more important than me. I want to make sure my wife is provided for. I'm going to take care of her. And he'll do whatever he can to provide for her. Now look, the truth is, here's how it works. And I've said this before, and you may remember this. The weaker vessel is not necessarily the weaker vessel. You know, the Bible refers to it as the rendering of the weaker vessel. But the weaker vessel is actually the stronger vessel because of the weakness of the stronger vessel for the weaker vessel. Okay, you probably remember me saying that. You know what I'm saying is, if you brag on him a little bit and you say, boy, you're so strong and handsome, he may stick his chest out, pop a couple buttons and go kill himself for you. That's how it affects men. That's the way they are. Because you built him up and now, I mean, mean, it's good for you. Uh, And he'll help you. So who really controls the home? You know, that's kind of hard to say sometimes. But everybody has a role to play. But there are responsibilities in that home. The very first thing that he says to them is really, man should leave father and mother and cleave unto his wife. Now sometimes people have a problem with that. Some people don't, but some people have a problem. They, they don't want to leave. Some men want still the protection and love of their mother. And they can't get over that. And they constantly think about her and depend on her and trust her and you know, whatever she says is more important, and calling and talking to her is more important. Now, it's important to break the tie. It's, it's important. First of all, it's important to leave. Don't live in their basement. You have to, you know, physically leave. You know, if you're going to get married, and I realize there are things happen maybe for a while that somebody's in a transition and is there for a while, or, but if you're going to get married, make sure you have the means to go out on your own and provide for your spouse. That means you ought to have a car. You ought to be able to drive, have your license. You ought to have a job. Those are important because you're supposed to leave and cleave unto your wife. The two of you have to become an independent entity. That was God's plan. God's plan was that two young people, or whatever age they are, a man and a woman, come together. Not that they disrespect their parents. They still are their parents and they love them. But now their responsibility is... Their primary responsibility is to each other. 
One of the problems that sometimes people have is uh, the in-laws. Sometimes they call them outlaws. They're, they intermeddle. You know, they have all these things that they interject, and they thought, oh, are you really taking care of that? Should you spank those children? Should you uh, have them in a Christian school? Should, you know, are you providing for them? Are you watching them? Are, are you careful about what they're doing? You know, we were, I hope my daughter's not listening in Japan. <laughs> but we were in Japan, and they, this little guy, Josh, and they have this long stairway. I mean, it's really tall. It's probably 15 feet tall or something like that. And they don't watch their kids very carefully. I mean, they're, and they're letting this, this guy, it's just a little tiny guy, and he's crawling up and down with that. Oh, you know, my wife's like, oh, my heart. I'm going <laughs> to, you know, he's going to die. He's going to, but weep, zip your mouth. It's their home. It's their family. If he dies, we'll attend the funeral, but <laughs> we'll, it's in their hands. You know, in their times, I remember the funeral, or just before the funeral of someone that I've known a long time, that somebody had asked them, they said, now, you've had a lot of children, they're serving the Lord, what's the, what's advice would you give someone that, uh, you know, when your children go out and they get married, what, what advice would you say about your children and their marriages said, stay out of their business? That was her advice. That's hard to do. It's hard to do. But that's our responsibility. They're supposed to leave and cleave unto one another. And their most important relationship now is that marriage. It's more important than the home you came from. It's now your entity. Right or wrong, good or bad, if you're starving to death or create problems, I mean, it's your home. You've got to establish that home. Leave and cleave unto one another. That means you have to learn to depend. When you cleave, you depend on one another. Go with me to Matthew 19. Matthew 19. I'll start at verse 4. And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God joined together, let not man put asunder. So the intention from that passage is, one man, one woman for life, committed to each other, and leave their former home, and establish their own. Now we have, because of the college, and uh, beyond the college, young people that are here that, you're not yet married. I cannot stress enough how important it is to pray that God will give you direction on who you marry. That is such an important decision. Now look, God can look beyond our faults, our mistakes. People can get saved. At, you, know, you might have made a mistake. God can remedy that. But why make a bad mistake about something so important in your life? And if I could just give you practical advice, this is somewhere hidden in the notes of Scripture. I don't know, Townsley notes or something. But if you're going to get married, pray about it. Make sure it's the will of God and be willing to end a relationship if it's not right. Seek the counsel and advice of your parents and some godly person you trust, your pastor, pastor's wife, or someone whom you know. 
Seek their advice. What do you think about this relationship? And if you will seek their advice and their help, it might spare you untold misery. Untold misery. There are so many bad decisions that are being made. And let me say, if you're going to get married, then get married. Don't just live together. Get married. Commit yourself to it. There's no reason not to. And if you commit yourself to that marriage, it should be the right one. It doesn't mean they're perfect. It doesn't mean they do everything right. But sometimes our emotions get involved and we don't know what to do with our emotions. We don't know how to handle it. And we haven't really surrendered this to the Lord. And we can so easily make a big mistake. If you're going into the ministry, then you ought to marry somebody who wants to go into the ministry. If you're not going to the ministry, you shouldn't marry somebody that's going into the ministry. You should have similar purpose in life. You should see the world in the same way. And you ought to marry only someone that's not only a Christian, but someone you know is a Christian by the way they live. Now, if you're older, you've already been married, you maybe weren't saved, or you're out of the will of God, that's another issue. But if you have that in front of you, why make a big mistake? Why not pray and ask God for help and wisdom and seek the advice of your parents? This may be hard for young people to believe, but your parents really know more about what you're going through than you realize. They know more about your personality than you realize. And they know more about people you might date or be interested in than you realize. That may not be true of every single family, but in most that's true. I've, my, my life has been associated with people, associated with young people. Even as a teenager, I worked with teenagers. I can pretty well look at someone. Somebody could just enter church. I don't even know them, and I can tell a lot about them. I just... And there are a lot of preachers the same way. You just, you know, you could talk to somebody for five minutes, I could tell you an awful lot about them. Now, as a teenager, you don't realize all those same things. I've been in the ministry a long time. Your parents have been around. They've been in a marriage probably a long time. It's, it is wise, it is wise, it is wise to seek their counsel. Now, this would be frightening, but in many cases... If the parents just on their own picked your spouse, they would make fewer mistakes than people just doing it on their own. That's a scary thought, isn't it? Your parents choosing who you might marry. So the point is, seek their counsel. Seek their help. Listen to the advice they're given. Seek godly counsel. Why? Because you're going to leave that home you know, that guy may be ripping with muscles and look so handsome, but if he's sitting on the couch watching football all day, he doesn't have a job. I mean, you could have got a picture and looked at that instead of him. <laughs> and she might seem like she's really pretty. Oh, my goodness, she is gorgeous. She, but you don't realize how expensive all the makeup and hairspray and hairdos, you don't realize how much all that costs. And it's affecting the ozone, no <laughs> doubt about it. You got to think about that. Can she cook? Oh, I don't know. I've never tried. Well, that might be important. I got the number for uh, the pizza place. You know, there's, 
There are certain things that are practical. The most important thing, what kind of character does he or she have? Are they dedicated? Are they faithful Christians? Do they know how to work? Are they responsible? Are they ready to make that decision? Now look, this is strange, but it's true. There are people years ago in the South, they might have been as young as 14, 15 years old and would get married. And I, you think, yikes, you know. How? Yet, and I'm not condoning that, I'm just saying many of them were much more prepared for marriage then because they had a big family, they took care of everything, they knew how to work, knew how to cook, and they were more responsible at 15 than some people are at 25 or 30 years old today. So you need to be ready and prepared for that and work toward that end. So you're supposed to leave and cleave under that person. Well, if you're going to cleave under somebody, you hopefully it's going to be somebody that you love and cherish, somebody you care about, somebody that God has led you to. The responsibility of the husband is to love his wife. Ladies, do you mind if I just stop here for a moment and emphasize that? A husband is supposed to give himself. Love is giving. This agape love is it's action. It's not just a mystical thing. It's not just sending a card or flowers. Husbands, love your wives, and it gives this distinction, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, how did Christ love the church? He went to the cross of Calvary and gave his life. That's the way a husband should love his wife, that I would give my life for my spouse. So you think about that as you enter marriage. Husbands, that's your responsibility. You would put them first. When all the family get together, they would have fried chicken and mashed potatoes and green beans in the summer, and they would pass the plate around, and you know, the, you get to the end, and there's only, the only thing left is the neck, you know. Well, I know how my father was, and that was true. I know of a lot of others. If that's all that's left, they'll be the last. They'll make sure everybody else gets what they want first. Now, that's a simple illustration, but in every aspect of life, they make sure everyone else is provided for before themselves. Why? Because they're willing to give themselves for their spouse. And the Bible says, wives, submit yourselves to your husband. Submit unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Now, you know, we, we don't want to forget that last statement. Should women submit themselves to God? Well, of course, we know that's true. Nothing wrong with that statement. Women ought to submit. Men ought to submit themselves to God. But the way you submit to your husband is as unto the Lord. He's the authority. If there's no authority in the home, there's a problem. And God puts structure in the home, so that if the husband gives his life for his wife and she supports him and submits unto his authority, do you know what happens? It's a happy home. That's the way it works. Then we get to Ephesians 6 and verse 1. You know what it says, kids? What's your responsibility to your parents? Children, obey your parents, and don't forget this part, in the Lord. You follow your parents. It goes on to say, honor thy father and thy mother. I was fairly young and I didn't know how to cook, but one day my parents left to go somewhere and they left me alone home and I fixed a whole meal. I was probably seven or eight years old. I want to surprise my parents. And the amazing thing is they ate it. (laughs) My mother never forgot that because it was not edible. But I fixed a whole meal for them. 
when they were gone. But the reason I did is I want to honor my parents. Now, I didn't always honor my parents, and I confess, I had my problems. But that's the role of the children. Honor your parents. Honor your father and mother. That's the first commandment that's given with a promise along with it, that your days may be long on the earth. Children have to be taught that. Parents ought to teach their children that. You're supposed to respect and honor them. You command respect and honor from them. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. These are basic, simple truths throughout Scripture. If we just followed them, we would have a happy home. But there's always something that gets in the way. It's called sin. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden. Sin entered in. The solution is confession, getting right with God. When we get right with God, we'll be right with our family and everyone else. 1 John talks about our relationships with our brethren. If we say we love God and hate our brother, it's not true. We're a liar. If we love God, that's how we will love others. And if we put ourselves before God and submit ourselves to God, it's not so hard to submit ourselves each to the other and to the role God has given us. That's our responsibility. Ephesians 6, verses 1 and 2 tells us that children obey your parents in the Lord. And the final thing, look, turn with me to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. <clears throat> now, there's only one way to understand this passage. It says in verse 26, If any man come to me and hate not his father, his mother, his wife, and children, brother, and sisters, yea, and his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. It's defining our emotions. It's comparative. What it's saying is, if you put your family before me, you're not a disciple. So here we just spent a whole sermon on love your wife, submit to your husband, children obey your parents, make the family honorable unto God. How important is it that, our, uh, that we marry the right person? We, we talked about all that. But it's all within this context, as a Christian, as a disciple, that our first priority is Him. And if God is in His rightful place, everybody else will be in their rightful place. But if we don't put God first, we do a disservice to our family, to our husband, our wife, our children, our parents. If, we have, if He is in the right place, in the right picture then somehow it affects all the rest of our behavior and all of our relationships, and they're the way they ought to be. But I've seen where people put their family before God. That's why they have sports on Sunday and don't come to church, because their family's above. Sorry, but that family has become more important than God. That's why people will go on vacations and not go to church. That's why people will hoard their money rather than support the church because it's something they want to do. I mean, there's a lot of practical ways where it's evident we put ourselves first and our relationships with our family above God. 
if we put God first, what is the greatest example you can give your children? They'll say, I know one thing, my parents were real. They loved the Lord. They were dedicated. They may not have been perfect, but I never questioned the fact that it was real in their lives. In a marriage, if somebody knows what you have is real, they can never get away from that part of it. I know they were trying to live for Christ. Even a home where something is broken, they can never get away from that. You set the example. You love the Lord, and you did the best you could to love your spouse. Everything we do then should be within the context of my relationship to God, and He's first. Let's bow for prayer.